ladies and gentlemen, to the Complete Center's Guide. I am your host, Tyler Fowler, and I have got an exciting, exciting show for y'all tonight. And I just want to thank everybody, first and foremost, for joining us. So we've got a whole host of people on tonight to talk about Giants, Nephilim, Genesis 6, all these different weird, strange things that we find in the Bible. And so with us, I've got Joshua Davidson back with us. What? Let, let's just intro everybody one at a time, and then we'll get into it. So Josh, brother, what is going on, man? How have you been? And uh, what's new? Like, we always start out the show, you know, with what's new, what's what's changed in your life this week, you know, anything that kind of stands out that's, you know, just worth giving God praise for, or just anything, bro. So what is that? How have you been, brother? How's your week been? Uh, my week's been, um, uh, let's say better than I deserve. Like Noah would, uh, Noah yeah. would say, right. Um, yeah. I, I really enjoyed this week. Um, you know, maybe not every single second of it, but overall I think it's been a really good week. And, uh, I, you know, I feel noticed after this week, I got a lot of compliments on my work. Um, you know, it, it's just, it's been a kind of a, an encouraging week for me, even though it was rather difficult and I'm tired, you know, but mm-hmm. it feels good. Accomplishment always feels good. And it's something that I, I, I learned to appreciate, even though it, you know, it really does make you tired, but it's, it's something yeah. that you can really, you feel good about. Um, and so I've had a, I've had a good week, uh, nothing really new, but you know, um, I'm satisfied. Right on, man. That's a good word for it. I, I think satisfied. Yeah, I, I like that. I really do. Joshua Sherman is back with us. What is going on, brother? What's new? How, how's your week been? Oh, mostly just kind of mentally preparing for this. So this is yeah. good. Yeah. yeah. I'm ex- I, dude, I'm super excited about tonight. I really am. What are, what are you looking forward to? Just a teaser. What are you looking forward to the most about getting into tonight? Oh, I just, I think, uh, I think our, our, our main attraction, our, our main guest yeah. tonight has uh, some really uh, interesting uh, and, and detailed ways of looking at all this stuff. And so uh, mm-hmm. I'm just excited for people to get a, a hint of, of what he he sees uh, in Scripture. And I think that will help in, in addressing some of the questions that people have. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So now's the time to introduce my arch nemesis. We all love him. We all love to hate him. No, I'm just playing. We love David Russell. Brother, how has your week been? What is going on, man? And how's life? How's life been? Well, man, you know, when you're in seminary and, you know, you have a friend that has to reach out to the president of your seminary for you because you can't get a hold of him, it gets a little irritating. And that's a joke on how you got me to Braxton Hunter. So. That's right, man. But, like, no, like, seriously, uh, actually, when you're – you know, I just finished up two classes this week, so I feel Joshua with, with accomplishment. I was able to finish these classes up in like uh, I did it in a day, and I was also working at the same time. So I was like really excited that I was able to get things done. But yeah, uh, yeah man, as far as everything's going, you know, just working, paying the bills, doing the podcast, doing PRA, you know, and yep. and uh, setting up debates and and discussions. I've got uh, reasons to believe, you know, I partner with them quite a bit. I collab with them quite a bit and uh i've got ken samples coming on to discuss his book about uh christianity cross-examine and i also got jeff zerwink the astrophysicist talking with our friend jordan 
on the state of the Kalam cosmological argument. So it's really not about the Kalam itself. I just use the Kalam because it it gives a scientific argument, and I want to see where the science is on the Big Bang right now. You know, so it's I'm going to kind of gear it that way, and I've let reasons know and stuff like that. That's kind of like where I'm going to take it. So they're all bored with it. They they confirmed we got that in December night. I also got Blake Gunta who uh who heads off Belief Map. He uh created this wonderful website called beliefmat.org and it's an mm-hmm. apologetic space website and Blake is Blake is awesome. So he agreed to come on right away and I got him on with a, a atheist friend of mine and they're going to be talking about causality and stuff. So I think Ooh. that's going to be really neat um yeah. as PRI switches into this kind of cosmological argument for the existence of God. I was a yeah. little disappointed though cuz we didn't we weren't able to get – I haven't been able to get like Christmas shows together, and I really mm-hmm. want to do that this year. But I'm taking too long here, so I'm going to let, I'm going to let your, uh, you introduce your next guest, brother. <laughs> You're good, brother. No, I, I like the, the themes that Pora has you know, with the Halloween thing that we did, and now Thanksgiving's coming up, Christmas is coming up. I really like what you do with that. And just one thing about the Kalam, man, I love Braxton's Hunter. For those who haven't heard that episode, you've got to go check it out. We did an episode with Braxton Hunter last week. Um, yeah, but dude, I the love Toy his story thing. Yes, the Toy Story analogy was absolutely incredible. Phenomenal. Loved it, loved it. And so, for anyone who missed that, you've got to go check that out. But yes, the man of the hour, we have author of Answers to Giant Questions, Tim Stedman here. How have you been, brother? What is new this week in your life? How's things been going? And just how are you, bro? Thank you for joining us, by the way. We really, really appreciate it, man. Well, g'day from sunny Western Australia. It's nice to uh, be on the show and good to uh, put a a face and uh, some some colour to all your uh, images online. You know, I've been sort yeah. of getting to know some of you over uh, recent months and whatnot. Hey, um, so yeah, it's good to good to see you and and, and catch up. And yeah, I've had a fair bit going on. Uh, Tyler, as you know, we were chatting about uh, that weird cult on YouTube, and yeah. I've just put up a treatment of that on my own podcast, which uh, was uh, up- uploaded just oh, hours ago. So that's a fresh one for anyone who wants to check out the Answers to Giant Questions podcast where I am doing a series on the primeval history, and that is pretty much taking all of my life outside of my day job. <laughs> right. Right on. So yeah, yeah. I've, I've been creeping through Genesis from, uh, I, I took a whole season of 20 episodes on uh, Genesis one. Uh, now doing the same thing again with Genesis two, and that will just continue on right through Genesis 11. Whew. Right on, man. Right on. I just started. It's, it's good stuff too. It's, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I just started going back through the Old Testament again and reading Genesis, you know, a, a double thing, kind of preparing for this discussion, as well as just going back through the Old Testament to see what I missed the first time. I've only read through the Bible one time. And to go back and already seeing the things I've missed, talking with Josh, both Josh's really about the Imago Day and how that really impacts my view of people in general, right? And so with that being said, to go back through the Old Testament and see how these different things play into 
together, it, it's blowing my mind, man. I mean, you learn something new. I really believe it. You learn something every time you read and do deep stuff. And all of the little things about the Imago Dei are really starting to stand out to me. And so to kind of lead into this discussion, man, what is the Nephilim? What the, That's what's mentioned in Genesis 6. And so real quick background. So for those who don't know what we're talking about exactly, can you give a little background? What is special about Genesis 6, and and, and how does that, just, just that chapter alone, impact our conversation tonight? Right, so the Nephilim first appear in Scripture in Genesis 6, uh, as you mentioned, and that's a, a word that we find in only one other place, which comes up in Numbers chapter 13, and it mm-hmm. goes twice there. So that... That term Nephilim has only three occurrences in two places. And that's a large part of the issue with the obscurity of this term and and the difficulty in understanding it. Because typically when we're looking at biblical um, terminology, we want to get our heads around patterns of word usage. And the more frequently something is used, the better we understand it because we see it in a lot of contexts and we've got a lot of... Um, mental pictures that we can fill out from understanding what we're reading. And we can generalize then across the patterns of usage and we can say, okay, well, this word appears, you know, 75 times and it's always in a context of this or that. And that helps us to secure these, these word meanings and remove the obscurity around the definitions and, and the references. And so that's just so much harder when you've only got a couple of examples to draw from. And that's one of the things that really makes it difficult. So uh, if I can just actually read the the scripture from Genesis 6, and I'll just cover the yeah, first uh, few verses there. Uh, I've got the CSB. I don't really mind which version you like because uh, the Hebrew is always best on its own, but... It says from verse 1, When mankind began to multiply on the earth and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of mankind were beautiful, and they took any they chose as wives for themselves. And the Lord said, My spirit will not remain with mankind forever because they are corrupt. Their days will be 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth both in those days and afterward. When the sons of God came to the daughters of mankind who bore children to them, they were the powerful men of old, the famous men. All right, so I'll stop there. That's uh, at verse 4. Uh, there is some argument that verse 5 actually belongs to that as well or perhaps was kind of formed as a bit of a bridge to connect that more securely to the rest of the Genesis 6 narrative. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, there's a whole lot of textual issues around whether that section was inserted, whether it was all written as one piece, who wrote it, when it was written, all those kind of things. Mm -hmm. Um, For me, I would probably land on the entire primeval history not reaching the form that we know today until the time of the exile or shortly after. And I mean very shortly after. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I see such an abundance of Mesopotamian references and context that the Israelite would understand best having been in Babylon rather than sitting comfortably 
in uh, in Israel, mm-hmm. uh, say you know eighth uh, or tenth century okay. uh, BC, where they haven't got a frame of reference for all mm-hmm. these allusions and all these these things that get brought up. Now, there's a lot of argument about that. So, I mean, I don't know if you want to go into it, but uh, basically, that's that's the context that I think that makes the most sense of the information we have. Mm-hmm. And with that in mind, then we're able to consider uh, some background that sheds a bit more light on the use of these terms and where they come from. And the reason I bring it up is because the word Nephilim actually isn't a Hebrew word at all. So that, of course, makes people say, well, why is it there? Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and how do you know it's not Hebrew and all that kind of thing? Well, right. uh, that that's something best left to... Uh, textual scholars and, and you know people who are uh, into textual criticism, that sort of thing. Um, when it comes to that, I tend to refer to fellows like Dr. Michael Heiser. I uh, spent a lot of time studying this and his breakdown on it's really good. Basically, his argument is that the form that we have doesn't exist in Hebrew, but you do find it in Aramaic. Mm-hmm. And when you find it in Aramaic, they use it as meaning giant. Uh, so, or giant, sorry, it's a plural form. So that's what we have in the text. Uh, the Greek also gives us gigantes there, which, again, that's that's where we derive our English giants and right. carries that same meaning. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, we, we don't have extant copies of Hebrew scriptures that we can point to and say, well, this is what the math, the... Uh, Septuagint was based on. Right. Uh, if they're picking up that meaning and, and translating it that way, they've got something behind it. There's, they've got something that they know should be translated as giants. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, you, you've got 70 uh, scholars behind the the Septuagint. So I think they, they make a reasonable effort of trying to be faithful to the text as they received it. Sure. And... Uh, when we compare to the Hebrew that preserves this unusual form, I think, well, it, it matches up. We should probably respect it. Right, right. Um, Can let me ask you this, Tim. In so there was a lot there, and I want to get David's response to what you said. But I want to ask you something first of all. And you mentioned it in our chat. You mentioned in our group chat that the reason that you wrote the book answers to giant questions was you wanted people to think about, well, why does this matter to me today? And so I want to get your answer on that. If someone were to ask you, I, I, I hear what you're saying, you know, all this about the Nephilim and, and how it's, you know, maybe an Aramaic word. Well, that's great and everything, but why does that matter to me today? That's back pre-flood, you know, all these different things. And then I want to go into David to just see what, you know, kind of get your response because you read Genesis 6 differently, right? And so, but first, Tim, why did, what is that answer? Why should this matter to people today? Mm, that is the best question to ask. Mm. Firstly, I think that uh, as we've all been uh, recently uh, taking a, a greater appreciation of what it means to be in the image of God, yeah. uh, that really comes to the fore when we start 
looking at instances where we've got people who perhaps are not. And I'm not going to suggest that there are people today who are not in the image of God, but there are lots of people who are making those assertions. And that's a very dangerous path to tread because then we start talking about people that have uh, no future in the kingdom of God. Uh, we're talking about ethical issues. You know, how do we treat other people if we don't know that they are an image bearer of God? Do they have rights? Do they matter? How should we treat them? Okay. Uh, there are all kinds of things like that. And, you know, the internet's a wacky place and you will come up with people with strange arguments on all these kind of things. David Russell's but one it's of very, them. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's very prevalent to today. There, I see. Oh, there's, uh, there are just so many people out there telling us that there are these inhuman creatures walking around in human skin. They look like us. They talk like us. And yet they are the seed of the serpent or whatever, you know, these mm. people are sons of the devil and you wouldn't know if they were sitting next to you in church and okay. you know, <laughs> you have to be on guard and you've got to, you've got to make sure that, you know, you're, you're judging people correctly and all this kind of thing. And it's so damaging and it's so divisive and really we just need some light shed on this and some truth so people can sort of put down the swords and, and go, Look, you know, I have my brothers and my sisters around me, and we all need to be in the same community here. Yeah, I agree, man. I, I, I can wholeheartedly agree to that. David, let me get your thoughts, brother man. What? Go, bro. What What do you think about what Tim has said so far? <laughs> well, I think if there's any disagreement here that, that would start off uh, – our conversation, if there was any disagreement, I don't think there is so far, uh, but I think even Tim probably would agree with this, is that words in the Bible are not unequivocal. They're equivocal, right? So we have to be careful with that, and I think he, he, he pressed on something that we need to really consider is the fact that we may never know the correct interpretation of Genesis chapter six. We may never know it. Um, we may we may land on a side that we think is more reasonable or whatever. We may examine it in light of history and come to a conclusion. However, I don't think, and I think it's fair to say that we we just I don't think we'll ever know uh, fully. You know, and that's not to say that there isn't a right interpretation out there. Again, you know, I, I want to emphasize that, but it may not be in our peer view, right? So, um, yeah, I, I don't think I'll have anything to say right off the bat, but that last part he said, uh, yeah, I think that if we're – the internet is a wacky place. I mean it's a very wacky place, uh, and what he said about, you know – looking at people today and, and not knowing if they're the spawn of Satan. I think that's a real problem that, that, and maybe he's heard it because he's, he's, you know, more in that, that realm of people asking those type of things. But, you know, I haven't ever come across it, but mm -hmm. I'm sure it's out there and people will consider it if they take something like the angel view of this uh, uh, passage. Uh, right. I think that could be a, a, an issue that could come up. Um,
but that's not really a problem from my view because I don't have that view. So maybe that's not that. That's why I haven't dealt with it. So, anyways, so, I, I think that's where I'll leave it. Let me ask you this then, if you would. We've heard, you know, what the angel view is. What is your view? What what? How is the other way to read Genesis six? Well, you you know, I don't think we have heard the angel view yet, Tyler. You know, um, I, you know, I I haven't heard uh, Tim's entire view on this yet you know i just heard him talk about nephilim and stuff like that and the wording and stuff like that which i think is important grounds to cover especially uh how we start off uh you know the conversation here which is it's important grounds to cover but as far as i read it i don't take the seth view the sethite view uh i take a more of a uh uh a i want to say fallen people view you know, uh, but a modified fallen people view. Um, I think uh, it, expressed by Tim Howe, T- Timothy Howe, uh, or Thomas Howe, uh, put it very good in his essay in the Christian Research Institute Journal about the uh, modern uh, fallen view. So that's that's kind of how I would lean. But we can get more into that as Tim Tim expresses his stuff because he's the star of your show tonight. So I don't want to steal that thunder in a way. So. No, no. Can I actually fair. ask something real quick? I, I I have a question that I think is probably going to like kick things into something that might be a little bit more uh, uh, immediate for the conversation, um, because I've I've read that that I've read that section. I don't even know how many times. Um, I actually am rather impressed by the way that uh, Genesis is all structured, um, but when you get to chapter six, it seems like there's this random tangent, like the, the section that you read, it feels like a random tangent that is never revisited. And it is almost frustrating to read that. Yeah. But when I've been reading that, it was mentioned before, the Stethite view, which is technically the idea that Seth, the lineage from Adam, the new lineage after Cain, who was cast out, um, uh, Seth and his descendants, the, the ten generations, which is listed in Genesis 5, immediately before this seemingly random tangent. Uh, Genesis 5 is the thing that comes immediately beforehand, and it's a lineage chapter about Adam to Noah. Noah being the star of the next section of Scripture, let's say. He's the main character that's going to be introduced right now uh, in this next narrative. And so it seems to have that kind of continuity but if it's not the Sethite view that the sons of God referenced in that piece are the sons of Adam in that lineage, that 10 generation sequence, right? If it's not those people and it is angels, our angels obviously are not made in the image of God the way that we are made in the image of God. And so I think that's where the rubber meets the road on what you were saying before, uh, is that if, if people are made of, let's say, partial human and partial angel, they're made in the image of something else. What is it, right? Do they still retain the image of God? Are the giants made in the image of God? It's like, are these giants like a biological claim to begin with? Or is that not what this language is talking about? Well, who do you want to go first there, uh, Josh? I was I was talking to Tim specifically. Sorry, I didn't All right. address him. I was talking to Tim specifically. All right. Well, yeah, that's that's some, some really good thinking. And, uh, I, I, yeah, I like how you're tracking with that. Uh, I want to first say we, we call it the angel view because it's kind of been popularized as such, but 
we don't have anything in the text about angels. Uh, the yeah, terminology that we get is sons of God. And I think they are angel-like in as much as God himself is angel-like. I mean, they're, they're all uh, classed broadly as Elohim in general, right? And you might be aware that Elohim is a term that gets thrown up for all kinds of uh, non-physical or uh, perhaps metaphysical entities all the way from uh, the, the spirits of dead humans through demons, angels, archangels, the sons of God, right. God himself. Elohim right. is a broad term for, shall we say, sentient non-humans uh, <laughs> Or, or that's not even correct, no. Um, let's just say uh, inhabitants of the spiritual. Uh, <laughs> Fair enough. Okay, so, so then I guess I guess sons of God, it's almost ironic yeah. that the Nephilim aren't called sons of God if the angelic view is true, right? I mean, they technically they would be the sons of the Elohim, right? If that was the case. Yeah, so we'd, we'd then be, uh, if we're looking at, sons of God as being a, a class of divine beings that are, uh, well, they, they actually have a, a role to play, right? They, uh, scripturally, they have a say in uh, determining destinies, enacting God's will. God wants something done. He gets them to decide how they're going to do it. God has sovereignty over that, and God will say, yeah, you can do this. No, you can't. Um, but we find in Genesis 6 that there's no uh, involvement of the Most High in what goes on. So this is why it's right, talked about yeah. in terms of rebellion. Yeah. So uh, these sons of God, uh, and I should I should probably just talk about that in, in definition a bit more because we find them throughout scripture we've got the sons of god in uh, job chapter one chapter two and chapter 38 we have the sons of god in psalms 82 and 89 they get talked about in daniel 4 in uh, first kings 22 a whole bunch of other places where we see that they're not just the, the messenger guys like the angels they've They've got important stuff to do. They've got decision-making power. They've got uh, considerably more uh, autonomy and, and freedom to do stuff. And for the record, you don't see angels actually sin in Scripture. So these guys are uniquely placed in that they've got uh, all the power you could hope for. I mean, they, they're, they're beneath God. As, as the most high, but they can really do pretty much anything. And so we have this situation where they choose to just come and get involved with human women. And nobody stops them. They just come down and they do it. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think the text is pretty clear that we are talking about ordinary human women too. We've had uh, people sort of raise objections to that. Oh, no, this is... This is something else. It's something different. But I yeah, no, I, I, I feel like it's pretty easy to conclude that that's human women. Obviously, it's talking about the daughters of men. I don't think that can be any more explicit. I think that's pretty clear. But um, I, 
I think the sons of God thing is what is is really ambiguous here, even almost more so than the idea of Nephilim, because the 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 way that you traced out giant from that is is I think almost like it's almost unavoidable that in some sense what they're trying to imply is something like uh, something like what we've attached to Goliath, this like mythic giant thing this big presence it's huge right but it's like is that a biological claim or are they making a like a like a narrative exaggeration like a myth because it's attached to like heroic figures right like a hercules or something like that is that what's being read here is it something else well i think the answer is yes uh really i I think it's all of that stuff because we're, we're in genesis we're in the primeval history there's really not much going on in terms of ontological distinctions. You know, they're not breaking things into scientific categories. Right, uh, not at all. Everything is together. It's it's not mythic or history. It's mythic history. So they're just not drawing kind of distinctions. Um, you know, you'll have people make an argument from literature and say this is a literary device, uh, that it's not meant to be... Uh, taken as an affirmation of scripture there they're trying to get a point across and the details don't matter but you'll find that that falls apart when other people uh, other scriptural authors are are relying on this later uh, in in completely separate contexts where you think well that writer had to be sitting there trying to make a point to nobody that cared for a thousands of years before anyone picked it up again and used it. So that that doesn't really make any sense. Um, So, yeah, I'm a big one for stuff making sense in its context in which we find it uh, because I don't think there's any point in anybody writing anything otherwise. So So to to bring maybe a point to this that that isn't in the immediate context, but I think maybe an important lens for it, um, when we're talking about sons of God, we actually have something from Jesus talking about the sons of God in uh, Luke 20 and a couple other passages uh, in different gospels where the Sadducees ask him essentially about whether, whether people will be married in heaven and, and who they'll be married to. And they bring up this problem, right? They, they bring up this idea kind of from Tobit, uh, this woman that, you know, is married to these like seven different guys and which one's going to be her husband. And they're doing that because they think the idea of the resurrection is, is ridiculous. Um, and um, they're trying to question him on this. And, and the way that he answers it is he, he says, um, essentially like a few different things. If you look at the details in the different gospels, he says, you know, not the scriptures nor the power of God. <laughs> right. And the, and the end of his answer is basically like, God is not the God of the dead, but of the living and Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So you're wrong about the resurrection. But in the middle of that response, he gives something here that I think is relevant here, where he says um, that those who are kind of worthy to take part in the, that age and in the resurrection from the dead, neither marry nor are given in marriage, for they can no longer die because they are like angels and are sons of God, since they are sons of the resurrection. Right. So I think we get this idea that sons of God could potentially mean human people, but maybe it means human people in a different capacity than we are now, uh, in one that's more like what we think of as angelic beings. And I think when we read things like Psalm 89, you know, and, and you have, and in uh, and, and Job especially, this idea that, that they're um, rejoicing as, as God's creating things. It's like, well, okay, if he's creating 
like the heavens and the earth while they're rejoicing. It can't be humans, <laughs> you know? Um, and I think that helps to kind of frame that conversation for us so we can at least see like, there's a very real reason to see this as sons of God being what we might term angelic beings, even though that's kind of an interesting term. Um, and um, would it I think be easier to call them in... spirits instead of calling sure. them angels? Would it be easier to just call them spirits? The reason I kind of like angelic beings is that we have a picture in our heads that gets us kind of close, but it also kind of gets oh, us okay, not yeah, there. So yeah. it's, it's like, I, I don't know. Um, Are you saying there's a, yeah. a difference between a spiritual non-corporeal being versus a, uh, you know, because what, what Joshua just said is like spirit and you're saying angelic being. Is there a difference in, in corporealness of some sort? Is that what you're trying to, to get at, Joshua? No, I, um, I, I don't yeah, understand. Yeah. Because, you know, so, I'm kind of thrown through a loop right now because, uh, yeah. you know, as far as like are are these fallen angels mixing with men? That's that's kind right. of what I'm asking. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, or are these a different type of creation? Because uh, it, it sounded like kind of like that's what Tim was at was, was alluding to, that these are not even right. just regular angels. So I, I, I just want to kind of – yeah. Like, I don't know. <laughs> so we're we're partly passing in the dark because we're talking about the term angels in two different ways, right? Um, so right. most modern people think of angels, and they think that an angel is a type of being. And that's not really how it's used in either really the New Testament Greek, but especially in the Old Testament and Hebrew. The term malak uh, just means messenger. In fact, it's a term that's implied to people too, right? Uh, right. So um, when we're talking about spiritual beings that are part of God's heavenly host, maybe that's a different way to put it that kind of makes it make sense. Usually we are talking about what we think of as angels, but angels can give us connotations that kind of place limits on the meaning of that term that can steer us a little bit in the wrong direction. So um, think of, of heavenly beings or part of parts of God's heavenly host, and that's probably a bit closer to the way that Scripture talks about them in the Old Testament. Okay. So, all right. So, so can, yeah. One thing you said, and this is just a little pushback, is uh, yeah. um, you said, so, you know, I, I, put, I wrote down, you know, sons, sons of God, as you're talking about angels being just messengers at time, mm -hmm. at times, sons of God are also referred to as human beings. So, I mean, there's, there's that too. Yes. In the New so, Testament, they are. And, and, and uh, in the Old Testament yeah. as well. Yeah. Where, where in the Old Testament do you see something? I got God? Hosea one ten at, at least, uh, Deuteronomy fourteen one thirteen thirty two five Psalm seventy three, fifteen. Uh, these are things that uh, Gleason Archer push, pushes out, who's a, a fluent uh, scholar in the Hebrew. So uh, I got that from. Hmm. Okay. I think I so think yeah, in these places uh, where these words he thinks that it's referring to humans as these well. These words are, but Genesis six two. But, Anyways, I think it's the case that not because these words are so ambiguous. Sorry, I'll mute. There we go. Sorry about that. I was trying to unmute. I, I guess I clicked away from the screen. I was going to say I think I think it's because of the way that these 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 words, these specific phrases, have become so ambiguous for us because we're looking at this through our like, you know, hyper analytic Protestant minds through the Western kind of like everything has to be reduced to its like smallest elements. I think, I think the way that this, this scripture actually makes the most sense. Uh, and I was saying this before we started is that in some sense, it makes sense as like a, uh, like a, like a mythic 
structure to something where they're introducing the setting of this world. It's a place of darkness and and wrong categories and mixtures and and, and a lack of boundary. Like mm. things have fallen apart and fragmented themselves so far that like people's minds were continually full of evil against their brother and sister. Like this was not a good place. And what happened just before the, the, the lineage uh, right before this chapter is, is uh, the first humans are born and their fratricidal murderer and victim. It's like, it's not a good look. Like humankind is not going in the right direction and it's made evident and obvious by what's going on. And there's an insinuation that this sons of God, daughters of men mixture is not a good thing. And so I think the way the reason that we attach it to something that we see as demonic is more of a narrative device than a historical claim, if that makes sense. Um, but I, I'm not the I, I the reason why I'm I'm asking these questions is because I have I don't have the the background of knowledge that some of you guys have, and this is the way that I've been reading it and understanding it. Um, but it I just don't. It's hard for me to 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 picture the idea of. Uh, of Goliath as a physical man standing there, a huge dude, right? And then think like, this is a giant. Okay. So then it's obviously a a, a person in a body, like standing there Mm -hmm. as a presence, speaking to the people of Israel, right? It's like, is that the same thing as we're talking about when we say Nephilim? Is that an example of this? Or is that like an echo or something? Like, is this something different? I would say that there is a degree of ontological difference between the Nephilim and what we see after the flood. Mm-hmm. Okay, fair the, enough. The details on that are really hard to be concise about. I'll be honest about that, uh, which is why I had to write a book of like some 400-odd pages. <laughs> <laughs> um, but to sort of bring it down to bite size, uh, you have a situation where the flood occurs and we find no more Nephilim. But after the flood story, we have another little insertion into the text uh, of the primeval history. And much like you pointed out that there's this little insertion at the start of Genesis 6, which talks about the Nephilim. You have another one there in chapter 10, and that's about Nimrod. So we find that little five verses that seems a bit out of place in a list of uh, names, you know, of people groups and languages and and geographical uh, identifications. And we have this little story about Nimrod thrown in. I think there's a reason for that. And it's because it introduces again some of the language that we had from that Genesis 6 pericope uh, in order to give it some continuity because as we read uh, in Genesis 6, uh, it does say, and also after that. So we're reintroduced to giants through Nimrod. He's called a Gibor. We had Giborim in uh, Genesis 6 and that's that's meant to tell us we've got some continuity of of a kind but we're not getting a a bloodline connection or something like that i know there's a lot of theories about you know could there have been somebody on noah's ark who had the dna of the nephilim and that kind of thing Uh, i don't think that's what the authors are going for 
uh, we can discuss that. I mean, yeah, I had to put a few chapters in my book discussing different <laughs> theories about how that uh, doesn't work. And uh, what I've sort of settled on, and, and there are so many theories about how this works. <laughs> but uh, I, I think that Nimrod had some access to some kind of information, some kind of cultural memory about how these... Uh, giants came about in the past and was determined to get that happening again. And he's managed to do that somehow. Uh, I know the uh, Orthodox Church actually has some tradition around this too uh, in terms of some kind of a ritual or some kind of a uh, black magic sort of practice mm -hmm. that was able to uh, reanimate, if you like, the spirits of the dead Nephilim from before the flood. And I'm I'm being pretty general about the, the the language there. It's pretty it's pretty technical and involved. But uh, after the flood, we find these people called the Rephaim, and they appear uh, first in Genesis 14, and they come up again and again throughout the conquest and and all that. And they are equated with some other groups like the Anakim and the rest of those. Uh, so the terms Rephaim and Anakim, we can both connect to Goliath because he uh, is called the one of the sons of the giant, that's uh, Rapha from uh, Rephaim. And he comes from a city where the Anakim were not uh, eradicated at the conquest. So we've got these connections to Goliath uh, tracing back uh, from after the flood, but we don't have the same kind of embodiment that we had prior to the flood. There's a lot to unpack there, so I, I understand if that's not really satisfactory on its <laughs> on itself. Uh, yeah. yeah, as I said, that's why I had to write a big book about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I hear you there. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's that's interesting. Um, go ahead, Josh. I, I don't know if you had any any other question. Yeah, I mean, it, I, I I think maybe one of the one of the questions people run across when they see something like Genesis six one through four, and they ask the question about whether this is actually describing essentially, you know, cross species. Uh, sex between angels and, and, and humans, is this something that can happen again, right, is, is one of the questions people start to kind of have in their heads. And one of the things that I found really interesting about the approach that you took in your book, uh, Tim, is that um, I feel like you gave us a sense that it can't happen again in the same way that it did before the flood because of, of the boundaries that God set as a response to that happening. Um, so, yeah, maybe it can happen again. But it happens a different way. And and what we see, I think, in history is attempts to do that essentially through rituals where you would have uh, a king and a prostitute and the king would be, um, you know, doing all of these things to try to essentially be possessed by God and then perform rituals. Uh, and we see a lot of kind of bits and pieces of evidence of this. Uh, so um, Og uh, one of the, the kings that they conquer on their way into the promised land 
um, had a bed that was like 15 feet long, right? Mm-hmm. We don't know that that's because he was 15 feet tall, but it's a match in size to the bed, the ritual bed that they had at Mononki in the ziggurat uh, that's essentially, you know, meant for worship of Marduk, the Mesopotamian god. Uh, and so you definitely have this kind of connection of these different cultures within that area that are trying to do things to bring about this kind of hybrid human spiritual and, and we would say human demonic um, right. manifestation into the world. Um, and, and that's partly how they got to the math of things like this person is one third God and two thirds human or, or vice versa. I forget which way, um, but that, you know, it's not one and one it's, it's like this weird mixture. And how do you do that? It's through these rituals. And these are rituals that have continued into even the present day um, where they just um, recently, I think, kind of shut down those rituals in Japan uh, with the emperor, where he was was believed to go in and to perform this kind of a ritual with a goddess and that kind of stuff. Uh, and and this is pretty constantly, you see this in a number of different places around the world. So it's one of those things that kind of raises that question of like, this seems to be pretty widespread in the ancient world and even, you know, into the present day. And this seems to be an attempt to try to essentially bring back some kind of more powerful than human person or, or um, spiritually elevated or influenced person uh, into the world. Um, so all that to say, <laughs> um, I mean, it, your book really made me think a lot about these things, Tim, because it, it, people bring a lot of these questions into that. What, what, how can this happen today? Can it happen today? Um, so is there anything you want to say maybe on, on that? Uh, and then I think we're probably going to be wrapping up for this hour and getting ready for the next yeah, we got about 10 minutes left for this hour. Guys, thank you so much for kind of taking the wheel. I've had some technical difficulties. I apologize for that, but you guys have been great. I've been catching the conversation, you know, in the background. But yeah, man, take that away. How does that's kind of what I was wondering, you know, just listening to this. How does this apply to us today because we started out that way at the beginning of the conversation. How mm-hmm. and I'll just leave it there. How does this apply to us today? Yeah. Yeah, okay. So we do, as Joshua said, uh, we do have examples of people continuing to make these attempts to connect to uh, divinity, for lack of a better term, or, you know, godhood, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, people trying to become gods that, all the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's right. I mean, it's, it's, it's the first... Uh, great lie isn't it you know you should be as gods that's right and it's it's been effective throughout history because you know we Mm -hmm. just fall for it so many times we want to be master Mm -hmm. of our own destiny Mm -hmm. i think these days what we see now is just a pale image of it a reflection you know people are going through Mm -hmm. these things for a sense of status and power and that kind of representation uh they certainly want to have that sort of uh, vestige of some kind of authority that comes from the distant past mm. and is rooted in some tradition of, of something bigger than themselves. And uh, I think we're always going to have that in our culture. But as far as concerns actual uh, human, non-human uh you know, hybrid entities like giants 
I don't think that we're seeing that in, in reality today. Uh, well, you're going to have a hard time getting that past the encrypted uh, community, you know, all those guys in <laughs> Bigfoot and all the rest of it. Because, um, you know, well, you know, they saw what they saw. Okay. I guess we and, can uh, uh, we can all have Rosemary's baby, huh? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, uh. yeah. Um, it, you know, I I won't uh, I won't waste our closing minutes there trying to uh, get into all those theories of how all that stuff works. But um, we'll generally save that for the second hour. Yeah, I, I, do wanna, <laughs> I do want to say something here. I do want to jump in here, guys, because yeah. I, I think that the audience should listen to to, to this uh, in the second hour because we'll probably go into more of it in there. Um, yeah. I've got to say I'm very interested in, in this, and I would love to hear more of Tim's responses, but – I my objections mainly come from a theological perspective. Yes, mm-hmm. I look at at the words El and Elohim being interchangeable throughout the Old Testament, and I don't think we can specifically say sons of God is a reference to some sort of supernatural being. As Josh alluded to earlier, I think that if uh, if you take the the position that that these are fallen people that are beyond redemption. I think we can see a continuity within the judgment that is coming in Genesis chapter six, where God's going to wipe out uh, the face of humankind. And that's, that's prevalent. That's very prevalent. And you see that God is judging men Mm -hmm. and to say that these things have super – these are a mixture of supernatural beings mixed with humans I think creates a huge theological problem when it comes to Christ, mm. right? Who's to say that the immaculate conception is immaculate? If demons could produce children from oh. the dawn of time, we have an issue. Not only that, but we also have – an issue when Jesus says spirits don't have flesh and blood like I have. You basically make his words meaningless in Luke chapter 20, ver- 24, verse 39. Okay, it's meaningless when he says that spirits don't have flesh and blood, but I do. Okay, if these demons have in their their own prior, you know, their own prioritive, I, I don't know if I said that right, but uh, if they have it in their priority to create flesh and blood of themselves who's to say that one of these demons weren't masquerading as the resurrected christ you know and what does that do to what jesus says when he says spirits don't have flesh and blood i see josh's wheels turning so oh yeah you do Um, so what you're doing is is a really great tee up for the second hour of this conversation it is that's what this (laughs) is yeah so i am gonna tee it up but i I do want to put that out there for the audience is that my view my view simply comes into hold on time my view simply comes to the fact that okay these were real people writing about real things Mm -hmm. at, at the time yes and there were these guys called the nephilim and they were large in stature even um but we see people that have been large in stature. I, I'm following TikTok, and I see a girl that's almost seven feet tall. You know, uh, <laughs> when you were talking about the beds of people yeah. earlier, uh, Josh, uh, kings and queens often have king-sized beds that, that are larger than they are. So I don't see anything beyond a naturalistic response that I feel is more simple. Than oh, to dive into a supernatural aspect of this 
Uh, this is going to be a fun second hour. What? Yes, uh, it way is. to end <laughs> the first hour. If you all, so thank you all so much for tuning in for the first hour. If you want to catch a second hour, go to youtube.com, type in the complete center's guide. You're going to find that episode right there. It'll be right on the very first front page, very first video. Big, you'll see it. You can't miss it. Tim Stedman, thank you so much. Author of thank you answering much. our answers to giant questions. And so, man, I, I haven't read the book. I'm going to read the book after this conversation, talking to you. You've piqued my interest. I am super, super excited to get into the second hour. But first, where can people find you? We've got about two minutes left. Plug a little bit. Websites, books, other books. What, what do you got to offer to our listeners? Okay, well, it all comes down to one place. You can go to giantanswers.com. That's my website. Everything links to there. You can find me on the socials. You can find me at Raven Creek Social Club with my buddy Joshua Sherman, uh, where the podcast is hosted from. So, yeah, giantanswers.com. Go there, catch the blog. You can ask me questions that I will answer on my podcast. And all you got to do is submit it by a form on the front page of the website. I will answer any question you send me as long as it's relevant. And, uh, yeah, you can... You can get in touch, uh, give feedback. You can read other people's reviews of the book and you can connect to Amazon through there where you can grab the book. So yeah, it's all in one place, giantanswers.com. I really appreciate the conversation, but I'm really looking forward to reading this book and I am really looking forward to getting into this second hour, man. We got so much to talk about. So, so little time, but the go- the cool thing about StreamYard and Facebook and and YouTube is that we can go for, we're, we're not constricted to an hour. And so if you all want to be a part of that conversation, head over there, ask your questions in the comment section. We'll try to get to them. If we've got time, first come first serve. So if you want to get your question at, answered, asked, then please jump on that and, and go ahead and start typing away. Uh, jo- I'll, I'll, I'll let my co-host end on this one. Joshua Davidson, brother, if he is still here with us, Josh, you're yep. here with us. Right? All right. Brother, what what have you got to say about all of this? We've got about 20 seconds left. Closing thoughts from you. Well, I, I would say that what, what I've gotten so far is that I'm, I'm, I'm probably not far off in the way that I'm understanding the narrative. Um, I'm just not so sure whether it's uh, uh, true in a mythic sense or true in a historical sense. So we'll, I'm ready to find out, man. This is going to be or, really fun. Or, or mytho-historical. That's right. Oh, That's there right. you go. <laughs> All well, right. with you, Josh. We are headed out <laughs> 815. We will be back with part two. We'll see you guys then. <laughs>